Hey, good morning, church. Hey, you folks are good singers. We should go on the road. That was really good. Loved it. You know, um, we had a stripped-down set this morning, and uh, in large part because we had our concert on Friday night, and we weren't able to um, do a full set with full instruments and everything like that. And we didn't need them today, huh? We did really well. So um, great, great work, folks. Appreciate your, appreciate your worship and your singing. Um, I'm looking forward to our sermon series coming up starting next week, Connecting with God. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's why we exist. Uh, we don't exist to connect you with church. We exist, folks, to connect us with God And our desire is really, as we meet together, our desire is not that you love church more and more, although that's not a bad thing, but our desire is that we love God more and more. And not just on Sunday, but that we love him more and more all week long. And so we're going to be talking about the special opportunity he's giving us to connect with him in prayer. And we'll be doing that starting next week. And taking that up through the end of November. So we look forward to doing this together beginning next week. But first of all, before we jump into a little lone uh, message today in the book of Isaiah, I just want to just say how thankful I am for you. And um, I guess it's okay to say even brag on you for a moment. Can I just do that? Um, We had Friday night a special concert here with um, three um, Christian contemporary artists. And it was really a great time. We had, um, we partnered with Fuel FM and what great partners they are. I just want to brag, here's where the bragging stuff comes in. Apart from the artists, apart from the music, apart from all that stuff, folks, we had over 90 volunteers from our church pulled together to make this thing happen. And that was spectacular. You folks did such an outstanding job in all the behind the scenes. We had people here at 7.30 in the morning on Friday all the way until 1 a.m. on Saturday morning making this thing happen. Then people even came back on Saturday to help clean up. I mean, this was tremendous what we had and I had people mention to me I had a man come up to me and he said you need to tell your people this so I I feel I better or else I'm going to be in trouble he said you know what from the second I pulled in the driveway because we had parking attendants he said I felt your church immediately cared about me and they showed me exactly where I needed to go he said I came to the front door There were people there, they smiled, they shook my hand, they let me in. He says, and I got through the door and there were more people there. And they loved on me. And then he says, and what place, and he called us all, he called them customers. He says, what what place has free coffee for their customers at a concert? (laughs) He says, that was unbelievable. So, um... He said, this was great. And he says, your people were so friendly. And this was an hour before the concert even started. So he knew that we cared and we set a tone before that 
event even began, and that's exactly what we wanted to do. And then I got a letter this morning, and this was so cool. I got a letter this morning from, from an individual who said the identical thing. And then he even found out something else that we did. Because he found out that not only did we care for the people that were here, and our motto, what we wanted to do was love like Jesus. And that's what we did. We wanted to love like Jesus. But he found out something else that we did. Because we wanted to love on our volunteers. And we had a special room, our light bearers room over here. Um, we set that up with food and snacks and drink for all of our volunteers. And so this, this one individual came early for the concert. Uh, he went and treated himself to all this stuff. And then he started going up and down the halls. And he said, I kept seeing this one room. And people would go in there for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then they'd come out. And then more people would go in. For and he said, so I wanted to find out what was going on. So you've you got to hear this. This is really good. So he said, um, upon me walking in your hallways, I noticed that some of your volunteers were going in a side room, then coming out after about 10 to 12 minutes. And it kept happening for a while. While me being the watchful and alert guy I am, walked over and opened the door. And to my surprise, there was food on the table. There were sandwiches, soup, chips, water, etc., etc. I couldn't help myself and even talked to myself and said to myself, hey, this is not for you, it's for volunteers only. <laughs> and it would not be right for me to partake of their food. Pastor, I'm sorry to say that I partook of their food. <laughs> and it was great. He said, I tried to find you so I could ask permission, but you were too busy and I didn't want to be rude and interrupt. But I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit provided for me. Blaming it on God now. <laughs> and then he says, lastly, I promise, this is the last one, upon me leaving the room with the food, I noticed a big bucket of apples, and they spoke to me, and I was tempted. <laughs> and I gave in. He said, it was not my fault. Adam gave in as well. <laughs> so number one, folks, I just need to tell you, apart from the music... You made a difference on people. And that's what it's all about. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. That was excellent. And then here's the other thing while we're on the note of just saying thank you. Um, our giving, and I, I need to say thank you. We, are, um, we don't harp on money. Our church isn't about money. It's about God and it's about people. But we've been, <clears throat> excuse me, we've been ahead of our budget goal almost every week, all year long. <clears throat> Normally, we rely on a year-end push to get us out of a hole. And how you have loved and worshipped Jesus with our giving, we've never gotten into a hole all year long. And um, I just thank God and I want to thank you for being so gracious and faithful. We don't, we don't give to a budget, folks. We give to a mission. We give to make more and better followers of Jesus Christ. And, um, and I just, I thank you. I thank God. And I'm excited for how he'll continue to meet our needs in Christ Jesus. So thank you, folks. Praise God for what he's done. <clears throat> so um, moving on, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, 
when people genuinely experience God, it changes them. And there's so many examples of this in the scriptures and examples that we've talked about in, in our time together. Like we've talked about people like Rahab. We've talked about Ruth. Uh, we've chronicled individuals like Saul who went from an uh, a individual who was against the church to someone who was for the church and a lead apostle of the church. There's the 12 disciples who, you know, these guys were just regular ragtag guys and they had an encounter with God and God took them from just being ordinary people to, to being extraordinary followers and even martyrs for Jesus Christ. And, and so when people have an encounter with God, people have experience with God, God changes them from the inside out. And I've got a personal buddy of mine amongst numerous people that I can think of, but um, a buddy of mine, Bert Landon, who we named our son Landon after. Uh, he was a plumber from New Jersey. And if you're from New Jersey, you just say Jersey. And he was, um, he was an individual that he would tell you personally, you know, he had a mouth that would make a sailor blush. He, he was an individual, he didn't care about God, he mocked Christianity, and in the, in the end of it all, his wife ended up trusting in Jesus, and her heart was compelled, and at the age of 65, after he was retired, God got a hold of his heart and changed him from the inside out, and I'm here to tell you that the last 28 years of his life were the most radically, dramatically changed years you've ever seen in an individual. God got a hold of his life. He had an encounter with God. He was dramatically changed. His experience, he saw God for who he was, and his life was changed. Today we get to see a once-only recorded event in Isaiah in chapter 6. It was a vision of God that Isaiah had, and... Um, there's no other vision of God that quite resembles this anywhere in Scripture. And this vision of God, I, I don't know exactly how it took place. I don't know whether he was awake or asleep, whether it was a dream, whether he was taken to this place, whether he saw it in his mind's eye. But the good thing is, really, it doesn't matter exactly those things because it doesn't change the meaning or the significance in any way. But what we do know is that when people understand who God is, it changes them. And so whenever the Bible records, I'm going to give you a big, huge theological word. Whenever the Bible records a theophanies, theo or theos, God, whenever the Bible records a theophanies or a vision of God, it always reveals something about him a character trait that can help us better understand him or appreciate him or have confidence in him or worship him. And so you want to talk about a theophanies this morning, fasten your seatbelts, folks, because Isaiah saw the most remarkable, 
outstanding, fantastic display. His encounter or experience with God powerfully paints a picture of God that changed the prophet's perspective. And it was just the perspective change that the prophet needed to have. It came at just the right time, and maybe, just maybe, it's coming at the perfect time for you this morning too. Because we all need perspective changes. Leonardo da Vinci has a great quote. He says, the greatest deception men suffer is from their own opinions. Now think about it. The greatest deception men suffer is from their own opinions. Sometimes we end up thinking things in our mind, and that's just how it is. You know, that's just the way the world is. We get, a, we get a thought in our mind, we get an idea in our mind, and, and the whole world is sculpted that way. We get thoughts of despair. Life stinks. Everything stinks. Everyone's out to get me. Maybe we see the world through the lens that our life will never change. You know, everything's the same. What I have right now is what I have. The health I have is what I have. Nothing will ever change. The finances I have, the job I have is the way it is. Life will never change. And as Leonardo da Vinci said, and as we experience the greatest deception men suffer from is their own opinions. I read an illustration of a passenger in a taxi cab, and he leaned over to ask the driver a question. And he leaned over to the driver and he just gently tapped him on the shoulder and he said, excuse me. And the driver just screamed, lost control of the cab, nearly hit a bus, drove over the curb, and stopped just inches from a large plate window. And, and for a few moments, everything was silent in the cab and, and the driver, his just heart was beating and, and you could just... You could just see him gasping for air, and, and, and sh- the shaking driver said, Are you okay? I'm sorry, but you scare the daylights out of me. And, and the, the passenger as well was shaking, and he apologized to the driver and said, I, I didn't realize that a mere tap on your shoulder would startle someone so badly. And the driver replied, No, no, I, I'm the one who's sorry. It's, it's my fault says, today's my first day driving a cab. says, I've been driving a hearse for 25 years. <laughs> and maybe we see the world through the lens of, of fear. Maybe you've gone through tremendous, maybe you've gone through tremendous loss or hurt. And you see little hope. And you don't know who to trust and you have no idea what's going to happen. Well, however you see your world, today I want you to see your God. Because people who experience God, it changes them. Isaiah 6. 
Look at this. Here's how the passage rolls out for us this morning. I just want to read it for you and follow along in your copy of the scriptures or on your phone or however you have this brought up. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, and at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds just shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Now folks, this is an experience to beat all experiences. There's nothing that Isaiah saw before or afterward that could ever compare with this vision and interaction with God, and it filled every sense. And he saw it. He saw God. He saw the seraphs. He saw the royal robe in vivid color. He heard the sounds. He felt it. He felt the doorpost shake. He could smell it. He could smell the smoke that filled the temple, he tasted the live coal that touched his lips. I mean, God hit every sense that he had. And he experienced God in a dramatic way. And folks, it changed Isaiah completely. And I want to I encourage us today, grab that sheet of yours. Let's look at the back of your East Bay Weekly. Experiencing God changes us now how is he changed and how can experiencing god change us so i want to talk about it here those who truly experience god those who truly experience god number one know he is in control Those who truly experience God know he is in control. Now follow me on this because the text begins with this phrase. In the year King Uzziah died. 
in the year King Uzziah died, so before we even get to what he saw, he sets up a little bit of background. Now, let's just talk about it for a second. Because this is not just a time and date stamp. He wasn't just to say, oh, that was in the year 740 B.C., which it was right around that time frame. This isn't a time and date stamp. He wants us to realize there was some context here. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, I want you to understand a couple things about King Uzziah. King Uzziah started at about 16 years old reigning over Judah as king. Now, it's a little less terrifying than thinking of your 16-year-old reigning as king. But King Uzziah started around 16 years old. He reigned for 52 years over Judah. It was probably the most prosperous, stable time in the whole period of Judah. Now, toward the end of Uzziah's reign, he ended up getting into a situation where he really pushed himself and made a very poor decision in his reign and actually he ended the latter portion of his reign with leprosy. And God taught him a lesson that way. And that's how his reign ended. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that really Uzziah, for the large part, did an excellent job. It was a very stable period, a prosperous period. It was a peaceful period. The spiritual climate, especially through the large part of it, was a very positive spiritual climate. And so Isaiah, in understanding the dynamic with Uzziah, it was a very good experience. And now, though, Isaiah died. Isaiah died, and now Judah's spiritual decline was going downhill. Now he was noticing things were not stable. Things were not stable economically, politically, spiritually. Everything was going in a very negative direction for Judah. Everything was out of control and so imagine now for, for Isaiah, he's saying, in the year that my king died, the nation was starting to go downhill, economy was going downhill, <clears throat> it was stable, it's not stable, everything is looking poor. Like it was seeming to be in control, now it's not in control. Now before we get to the vision... You have those times. So if you were writing this, <clears throat> in the year, some you might write right now, in the year my husband died. Things were stable. I mean, things seemed to be under control. In the year that my, my cancer came, I mean, I thought everything was okay, and then, boom. Or in the year my finances went and tanked on me, I thought we had stability. 
In the year my relationships took a dive, I thought I had friends, I thought everything was good, and now who do I have with me? And some people, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you can stamp this just like Isaiah. You know, you know those days. I thought things were fairly stable, and now they're not. And we've all been around those days. We've all felt those experiences. We all understand that things can change. And just like Isaiah, there was insecurity, there was turmoil, there was disappointment, there was loss, there was uncertainty. And Isaiah steps into this vision and basically says, my king was dead. My country's going down. What am I going to do? And so here's the deal. Folks, this is the big deal. He says, in the year that my king died, can you follow this? In the year my king died, I saw the Lord. The Lord in the Hebrew is the one who reigns. Can you follow it? In the year my king died, I saw the one who really reigns. And he was high. He was exalted. He's transcendent. He was above all of this. You know, all of my life seems to be in disarray, and I realize God is so high and exalted. Like, he's not hitting the panic button down here. You know, all of... Judah seems to be going nuts and everything seems to be in disarray and here's God high and exalted unaffected by all of this in our Facebook vernacular we would post a meme that would say not my circus not my monkeys you know this doesn't affect me like it affects you I'm not getting wrapped up with all of this. And God, even though he is over it all, God doesn't hit the panic button. God is high. He is above it. He is unaffected emotionally. He is above the fray. Reminds me of the song when I was a kid. I would sing it. I don't know that you want me singing it right now. But it'd be like, um, he's got the whole world in his hand. You remember? He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world in his hand. He's got the whole world. Easy to remember the words to that one, isn't it? You know, Isaiah said, you know what? My king died. My king of 52 years. I thought everything was stable. And now it's not. And I saw the Lord. And there he is. He's high. He's exalted. And he's sitting on a throne. He is the sovereign ruler over all. And I love this. He's sitting. He's not pacing. He's sitting. He's not wringing his hands. 
He's sitting. He's not struggling or searching. Not God. He's seated. He's settled. He's secure. He's certain. And why so settled and seated and certain? Because he's in control. He's king. He knows it. Everyone in the throne room knows it. No one's worried in his presence. No matter what seems to be going on in the world, he's seated. Your king may have died, but the king is still alive and well. The news may be freaking out. I've asked myself this question recently. From a human standpoint, who's in control today? You ever think about it? Who's in control today? You watch the news. So who's in control? What political party's in control? What country's in control? Doesn't it seem to be there's a lot of things out of control? I don't know if you um, are awake much during the week. Our world's kind of going nuts, gang. And if we experience God for who he is, if we pull back the curtain and see our God for who he is. I want you to understand he's high. He's exalted. He's actually seated on the throne. God is not nervous. He's not Pacing. And this is not a fatalism on our part. This is a calm assurance on our part, folks. To get a picture of God says there's stability, there's certainty, there can be calm even in the midst of your storm. Because God is in control. Amen? That's an experience with God that can change us. I just want to encourage you. When we see the Lord for who he truly is, he's on the throne. I just want you to experience God today, friend, like Isaiah, in that year of fear, in your year of fear, in your year of insecurity, in your year of hurt or pain or loss or uncertainty, and you have no control maybe over what's going on, I understand. In that out of control year, this is what Isaiah saw, and it changed everything for him, and it can change everything for you. You may have no idea how you're going to make it through, but I'm here to tell you, God is still, he's still in control. He can still get you through. 
When we experience God for who he is, it changes us. Those who truly experience God know he's in control. Here's number two. I'm going to have to move through this a little bit quicker, I realize. Here we go, number two. Those who experience God for who he is are impressed with him and not themselves. So he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and he noticed some things. There was his train that filled, uh, the train of his robe that filled the whole temple. I mean, this was so beautiful and impressive. There was no room for any other, and above him were these seraphim or angel-like creatures, and they had six wings. With two, they covered their faces so that they did not look upon God. And then with two, they covered their feet, which was a symbol of humility. And then with the other two, they flew, and it seemed that they never touched down. That's all that they did was fly around the temple, and then they, they, um, they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. Now, seraphs mean literally burning ones. And Isaiah's response when he saw this, it was so impressive. As he saw God's splendor fill the entire temple, and there was room for no other. He was the whole focal point of everything, and he alone occupied the place of reign and worship. And, And Isaiah's response was, woe to me. And, and here he's listening to the seraphs speak. So there's a contrast. The seraphs were saying, holy, holy, holy. And here Isaiah is a prophet. And he, normally the prophet, like the pastor, is one who's supposed to be speaking. And Isaiah is saying, woe to me. I'm not worthy to speak. Here are unfallen creatures, the seraphs. They had not sinned. Unfallen creatures in the presence of God saying, holy, 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 and I'm a fallen individual. I am unable to speak. I'm not worthy to speak anything to God. Woe to me, says, I am ruined. I I cannot speak. I'm a man of unclean lips, signifying my whole life. I can't talk. I'm unworthy to talk to God. And in fact, all of the people of Judah are unworthy to talk to God. And I've noticed something, whenever people get a sense of who God is, it never causes them to sense how awesome they are. It's quite the admission from the, from the prophet. I originally had this um, point titled, They See His Awe and Their Awfulness. And I change it, they are impressed with him and not themselves. I've never heard of a vision of God and the person seeing God says, man, and I came out of there thinking, I'm a really cool guy. I've never heard of that. Someone comes away from seeing God and thinks they're great. They probably didn't find God 
They probably found a mirror. Being rocked by the holiness of God never causes one to be impressed with themselves. Isaiah was blown away. He was rocked by who God was. And seeing God as he truly is naturally brings about, and, and this is a big word hum, that, that, that we all embrace, and, and I really think this is what is at the heart of it. It brings about humility. Humility and being honest about our sin that says, woe was me. I mean, he saw God, he says, oh my. It exposed the reality of who he was and and humility is being honest about us and our sin. And then humility is even being honest about our righteousness. It's interesting. Isaiah is the same prophet that later on gave us this wording. And, and he even talked about our righteousness. He says, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So he even talks about, hey, even the great things we do aren't really awesome compared to God. And there's a sense of humility when we understand who God is, we're impressed with him. We worship him. We don't worship ourselves. And that's the beauty of, of this encounter and experience with God. We are so enamored and in awe with who he is. Here's the third one. I love this one. They claim his atoning. Immediately upon the admission of his unworthiness, this is so neat, the seraph goes over to grab a coal and puts it on Isaiah's lips. Do you see where he gets it from? Will you look there for a moment? Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs. Are you following me in this? In verse 6. And he had taken it from, where did he take it from, folks? He'd taken it from the what? <clears throat> He'd taken it from the altar. There was an altar in the temple, and it was burning <clears throat> with a sacrifice to God. So remember, the vision takes place in the temple. And here's the sacrificial offer being burned, and there is smoke in the temple from it. And so typically on the altar, there would be a lamb that would be killed and sacrificed and burned to symbolically atone for the sins of the people in Judah. So are you following me? <clears throat> so from the altar on which the lamb was killed that coal was taken and placed on the lip of Isaiah and the seraph said your sins are atoned now follow this 2,000 years later there was an altar and there was another lamb that God provided for our atoning. And that lamb is Jesus Christ. And the same prophet Isaiah spoke of this lamb to come and he said, but he was 
pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we're healed. And in the midst of our unworthiness, here's the beauty of it. When we experience God, God says, I don't want to leave you there in unworthiness. I want to clean you up, man. And right on the heels of that comes this atonement from God to clean us up. And and for us, it is in the person, in the sacrificial person of Jesus Christ. It's so very simple. Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. It is received by faith. The scriptures say this principle, our sin must be punished, and either we believe Jesus was punished for our sin when he died on the cross and we're forgiven, or we don't believe and will bear our own punishment for our sin in eternity. It's that simple. But people who experience God's greatness claim his atoning. And so here's the reality. People who experience God, they know that he's in control. They know that he's in control. They understand that reality. And then beyond that, they are impressed with him and not themselves. And then they claim his atoning. And then here's the last thing. They can't contain themselves. This is such a neat thing. Because here after this atoning and that experience with that, here comes this voice of the Lord and it says this in verse 8. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Now this is so neat because in the heart of Isaiah... At the very beginning, he's saying, you know what? I can't speak. I'm unworthy. Like, count me out. I can't do any of this. And God steps in and says, you know what? I'm going to clean you up, my friend. And here comes the coal on your lips. And you know what? You can. You are cleaned up. Your sins are atoned for. And then God says, so who can I send? And the very first thing, Isaiah says, whoop, here am I. Send me. I want to do it. Put me on the list. And Isaiah knew right away when he had experienced God in his fullness, it wasn't about his greatness. It wasn't about his perfection. But God had cleaned him up. And he said, you know what? Send me. I want to do it. I want to tell other people. I want others to know what God is like. They've got to know. And this is exactly the passion of Isaiah. And this commissioning was a tough one. I don't know if you've seen it before. But God said, okay, if you read verse 9 all the way down through 13, this was a hard commissioning like wow he was going to tell people uh, this is not going to go well for you your nation's going to go down he was going to tell people some of the hardest things they were ever going to hear but for Isaiah it didn't matter because he said you know what God you cleaned me up you gave me a new start 
and I want to tell people. And the only thing that takes a person from being out of control and being unworthy to being forgiven to being commissioned to tell other people is an experience with God. Knowing God for who he is. And here's where it's at, folks. Experiencing God changes us. It changes us. Do you believe it? It changes us from the inside. The core of it all is we need to experience our God. I would say, you know what? So therefore we need to be humble. That's not today's lesson. Or you know what? We need to go and witness. And the reality is, as good as that is, that's not what today is about. Today is about, folks, we need to experience our God for all that he is. We need to see him for who he is. So some of you may ask, how in the world do I experience God? Well, one way is some of what we're doing right now. Being together, talking about him, singing about him. Uh, this is just an hour, and well, since I take you a little bit long every week, at no extra charge, by the way. It's only an hour and 15 minutes or so. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. To experience God, we need to practice the presence of God all week long. All week long. I want, I want you to think about having an unbroken chain of worship. Like, if this is the only place we worship God, you're not going to experience God. You're just not. Have an unbroken chain of worship. Sing to God in your car the way that you would here at church. Or even better. Sing to God in the shower the way you would here at church or even better. Have vocal conversation. I'm just going to open my life up to you. You know, the reality is I pray out loud in my car. Like God is really there. Because you know what? God is really there. And it helps me to stay undistracted in my mind. Discover what God is like through his word. And I also will tell you one of the best ways to experience God is to experience God with other people that are experiencing God. Connect with him through people like in small group or with friends. Don't try to do this alone. But we need to experience God and practice his presence and worship him all week long and see him for who he is. And I'm going to tell you the last one. 
be a person through whom others can experience God. And with this, I want to finish. And would you stand with me? Would you stand with me for a moment? I want you to think about being a person through whom others can experience God. Would you think about that? Would you think about being a difference maker? People seeing God in you. The people seeing Jesus in you. And that their life is impacted in that kind of a way. And their life is changed because of your life. Be a person through whom other people can experience God. In some people's lives, you may be the only Jesus that they see that week. Be a person through whom others can experience God. Experience God in a genuine way through his word, through worship, through his people. And then be a person through whom others experience him because he's worthy of our worship, folks. He's high and lifted up. He is above all. He's the God that we must give all of our worship and adoration to. And he's the only one, the only one that is due. Amen? Amen. He deserves it.